Good day, and welcome to our D&D podcast, John and Dragons, where the first D is silent. We are a group of four friends who love playing D&D. However, our titular friend, John, is always too busy. So this is a podcast dedicated to John and any other Johns, those beautiful people like our friend who have a love for this amazing game, yet are unfortunately caught up in the busy happenings of life. We formally invite you to be a part of our story, share in our adventure, and annoy our friend as we play D&D. I am your friend and dungeon master, Alex, and I'll be running this campaign. Our campaign is called Tales of Icewind, and it is adapted from the 5e source Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Before starting this podcast, we have played a few introductory sessions to establish our world and our players' stories, with the story being set in the year 1489. Now, sit back and relax as I introduce you to our world and our party introduces themselves to you. Welcome to the realm of Icewind Dale, a world north of Faerun, isolated between the unforgiving sea of moving ice in the northeast, the ominous Regad Glacier in the northwest, and the imposing spine of the world mountains to the south. This icy land of windswept tundra is home to many creatures who have adapted to the cold and has become home to others seeking a new life. Centuries ago, prior to the story, various individuals, outcasts, fugitives, and pariahs made the heart of this realm their home and established a collective settlement known as Ten Towns, a symbiotic community of Del folk who reside in one of the Ten Towns, each with its own unique qualities, history, and stories. The head of each town holds the title of Speaker. To the north of Lake Mare Doldrum and the Lonely Woods are the towns of Bremen, Targos, Tourmaline, and Lonelywood. To the west of Redwaters are the towns of Dogen's Hole and Goodmead, and to the east of Lake Dinashia are the towns of East Haven, Kea Dinaval, and Kea Con. Lastly, in the heart of this collective is the town of Brinshander. Fishing, logging, brewing, mining, and building maintain the trade and livelihoods of the Dale folk. However, two years ago, prior to our story, a terrible event befell this realm. Oriel, the Frost Maiden, the divine embodiment of Winter's Fury, has withdrawn from the plane of the gods to this isolated realm. Furthermore, Oriel has cast a terrible spell on the land, which has taken the form of a permanent aurora in the sky. This spell has blocked the sun of day, casting the realm in perpetual and chaotic winter unaffected by the seasons and outside world. This has caused the temperature to reduce drastically, blizzards to occur randomly, lakes to freeze over, and populations to drop as conflicts heighten between neighboring towns. To survive, each town provides an offering to appease the Frost Maiden, so that she may be merciful and ease the effects on their town from the harshness of her everlasting winter. The small towns sacrifice either food or warmth, while the larger towns have been sacrificing people through a lotto system. Frost Druids, individuals who worship the Frost Maiden, have also been seen converging in the realm, sowing further discourse. Our story begins in Bremen. Recently, a series of mysterious murders have been appearing throughout 10 towns in East Haven, Targos, and now Bremen. Our party, a group of strangers, were hired by the retired bounty hunter, Hlyn Trollbane, after the most recent murder and were given even a prime suspect based on Hlyn's investigation, a human named Sefik Kaltro. The party, seeking information, ventured to Targos, requesting audience with the town's speaker, Nerth Maxeldana. With promise of information from Targos's investigation, the party was requested to reignite the dwindling lumber trade between Targos and Lonelywood. The days that followed resulted in the party gaining a positive reputation, becoming known 
known as the Beasts of Bremen. After freeing both towns of Lonelywood and Tourmaline from mysterious horrors, individually terrorizing the towns and their occupations. This has also resulted in the party acquiring an old abandoned inn in Lonelywood, which they have renamed Ramsgate after hiring kobolds who will reside and renovate the establishment. After a curious night of developments, our story resumes in Lonelywood, with the party's goal accomplished and the reward in Targos awaiting. Uh, I'm Mitch, I play as Virgil. Some people would call me shady, but really I'm just quite private. I am a warlock and a, a, a drow, uh, but I try to keep that one a secret. I found myself in Icewind Dale two years ago, but uh, the ship that I was traveling on, it crashed. And long story short, I died. But it seems that someone or something was not done with me and they had a plan for me. I was brought back with a slew of new powers and since then I have been traveling Icewind Dale trying to seek out new knowledge to fill my unquenchable thirst. Steve, stands for Scientific Team Epsilon Variable Executor. I am a, a Warforged Artificer. I was created by a small gnome, smart gnome, named Limtok on the island of Lantern. So this is in the south of the Sword Coast, quite far from Icewind Dale. I heard about the never-ending winter. It seemed intriguing. I was allowed to leave the service of Limtok. I started my journey in Bremen and witnessing the first murder. Boys call me Nez, and I play Carpa Henry Caniculus. Uh, I am a rather handsome rabbit folk bard. I dress sharp, and I shoot even sharper. I've lived in the Forgotten Realms my whole life, and recently found myself in quite the kerfuffle as I investigate the murders in Ten Town. With a ragtag group of fairly plain gentlemen, now normally I work alone, but more recently, after connecting with my sister, I am finding myself warming up to them. So, welcome back. How are we feeling? I been here. Hello, John. Just wanted to say. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is all for John. Stay yeah, this is for John. Stay 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 Jonathan the Mossfield. Jonathan's the Mossfield. What, what are the last name basis? Our day starts in Lonelywood on the 11th of High Sun. Lonelywood is an old and small quiet town on the outskirts of Lake Mare Doldrin. The buildings and docks are mostly made from wood and are adorned with the carvings of lions, goats, and dragons. The town can easily be recognized from their symbol of a forest green shield with two white triangles in the middle pointing at each other like staglomites and staglotites. This represents their location and trade. The town is led by their halfling speaker, Nimsy Huddle, and the town predominantly works as lockers, unable to compete with their neighboring town of Targos in fishing. You guys wake up in Ramsgate. You are now level three and it is 6 a.m. What would you like to do? 
Are they are they up and about the kobolds? Drows, you guys wake up. You guys actually hear the sound of chopping of wood, hammering, and if you were to open the doors, you'd see the kobolds running around with planks of wood, fixing it into trying to refurnish it so it's actually functional. You can see the five of them working. See the six. You see Trex, and he's kind of got a little clipboard, and he's like dictating where they're going. (laughs) Harper, you wake up. Yeah, I'm going to go to the kitchen. Is there any leftover food or anything in the kitchen from whenever it was abandoned? You go into the storeroom where the kitchen is on the bottom floor. You walk in and you see that currently it's been cleaning out. That's what some of the kobolds have been doing. They've been like sweeping, moving some of the sacks (laughs) and everything else. After looking for a little bit, you can't really find food. There's stale bread, which feels like a brick. There's like a bag of flour, which has got all those like little millipedes in there. You're like, ugh. (laughs) There's no food whatsoever. The times you guys had to get food, you've always gone out. Where I know where the nearest grocery store is. You know like when you went to the port near Ramsgate, there was like a couple of markets of people, like fishmongers and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, Steve and Virgil, you guys also wake up. What are you guys doing? I'm staying in my room for a bit. I'm mulling over what I've just experienced. Okay. Yeah. What did you Chris. experience? I encountered my patron. Would it, would it be safe to say relived out and experienced and then like it like it went another way? So you, you relived the day you Got, I died. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So you relived your ship being struck by lightning in the sea of moving ice. When it sunk, someone trying to help you, but they couldn't reach you as the ship split you two apart. And then you drowned due to your inability to swim. And then when you came to in this vision, you saw before you a gargantuan red eye with a black slit that glowed in this void of darkness. And it said that it is called the Dream Eater, Matriarch of the sea and that you now belong to it as its eye and it demanded that you seek out a particular type of knowledge it could not convey in words what it wanted you to know so it psychically sent you a series of visions and it was all very sudden to the point that you actually passed out from the experience yeah um, because of so much information being flooded into your head without verbal expression so you, images you saw yeah. was vast yeah. ocean of ice you saw three green gargantuan tentacles in a red sky above the ocean. You saw an abstract drawing of a white pine tree in a blue circle. And you saw all these figures wearing it, but you couldn't see who the figures were. And then you saw a black obsidian, obsidian. wheel similar to like the ship's steering wheel. And then you woke up. I woke up with a spell book or a tome. Yeah. It feels wet and has a cluster of barnacles. And also something else happened. And then, yeah, I feel a pinch around my neck. You unclip your necklace and it has now transformed into the red crimson eye that you saw in your vision. However, it is also enveloped by these three obsidian tentacles which are entangled and covering most of its circumference, all except for the center where the sclera is exposed. I got, a, I got a little crystal. And then you got a little crystal that you found from Termalane, which you identified. It's a side crystal from an illithid. The illithid, yeah. yeah. It was an illithid skull you found yeah. and you broke it open you got the cypress yeah so you're gonna mull that over yeah i guess i, I mean like that's a pretty deeply concerning like experience i think so yeah. i'm probably just like looking at the ceiling trying to just like fathom what just happened yeah. you start to hear a very faint beeping sound and you hear the consistent beeping <coughs> going a bit more intense and it's rhythmic so it's always on cue but it's not going away. If you'd want to make intelligence checks, if you're going to want to identify what this is, go, yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah, that, uh, it's a 14. 14. Um, you're not 100% sure what's going on. Okay. And you don't know if you're hearing this in your head or if you're hearing this outside the room. Okay. But it seems to be signal of some sort. 
you don't know where it's coming from. Okay. But right now, it's... Does, does it seem like it's in my head? You get up a little bit. You're trying to look around and he's trying to see if, if it changes. It doesn't go quieter. It doesn't go louder. Yeah. So you can kind of summarize it's possibly in your head. Right. Steve, what would you like to do? I'm waking up very confused because I've never had a dream before. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've never really slept properly because Warford kind of just shut down. What exactly happened? I don't even know if Steve knows. He was in a field. A young child was playing with a creation that he had made. Uh, the creation broke, needed fixing. Steve fixed it. I think Steve is confused about whether he was seeing something of his memory or someone else's memory or two names were called Steve and Lintock. He knows both of them, but he doesn't know who was who in that situation, I'm sure. But I guess he reverse engineered that thing, so now he knows how to make it in the current time. Yeah, and that was what was the end product of this dream, because when you had that tunnel vision, you woke up, you came to, you all of a sudden had the schematics. So it wasn't even like you knew, and the boy was calling you Pa, yeah. which was also confusing. Yeah. So that also has confusion of what's going on, because you hear Lim talk, you hear Steve, you hear Pa. Yeah, so I think he's, that like one side of him is very confused about all that, but one side of him is super excited because he's got something to build. Awesome. I sent you the details. Yeah, I just wrote it down. Yeah, it, how to yeah. build it now. So you've yeah. got the exact materials you need. So I think that's the first thing. Just yeah. go look for like a blacksmith or someone who will have that kind of stuff. Doesn't have enough gold to get all of it right now. Make an intelligence check for me. It's a 17. That's to see if you could experiment and find substitute items yeah. or things to do it. So you could make okay. on the cheap the same material, the same creation. Yeah. But which would mean that it would be, I would lower the AC slightly. Okay. So it's a bit more fragile. So you can do choose that option if you want. And um, I'd say the materials are stuff that you could find if you use all your gold. If you want to do the cheap side, I'm going to say it has to have an AC of 11 instead of AC of 15 because okay. you're substituting component. That's fine. Yeah. I think I'd, I'd make it and then substitute them later. Awesome. If you want to do that now, it would take you, I reckon, an hour. So I'd still have to go to like a... Yeah. So we could, So you, what you need to find is just some metals. The outside structure is why it's going to be so weak on the AC. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd go do that. Carpa. Yeah. Let's go back to you. So you're on your way to the port. The, the yeah, the markets at the port. Yeah. Um, you get there. It's still quite early. Everyone's setting up. Yeah. Um, there is a few, and it's not like a very expensive <laughs> or very uh mm. eventful kind of marketplace. It's just very you know a couple of wooden shacks, a couple of, like just held up by sticks and uh, tarp. Yeah. You see a couple of those with like some crates. If you take a look, you see some fruit which look like they're nearly moldy. You see some uh, fish which have kind of like a bit of a foul smell to them. What are you looking specifically for? I'm looking for edible food. Edible food? <laughs> Make a perception check for me. Got an eight. Yeah. You see one particular cart of what appears to be some very nice fish. Great. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm just going to leave it there. Just uh, Alright, I want to approach the person selling fish. Do they have anything other than fish? So you see, it's a it's a very muscular woman. She looks like the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> but she's like there like... <laughs> that smell's not no. coming from yeah. the fish. <laughs> oh, no. she's, moving the, she's moving the fish and she looks around like it ain't. No, well, hello there. How much for a fish? Oh, we got plenty of fish. Just depends what one you want. I want the biggest fish she has. <laughs> That's the finest one. Got it a few days ago. Uh, how long ago exactly? Oh, not too long. Snuff to still be fresh. How long exactly? <laughs> you see her like scratch your head for a little bit? Oh, she I had a shower the day after I caught it. And she smells her armpit a little. She's like, two days? I did it. I did it. 
I, I, can I hold it up and like have a look at it? You gotta hold it like, ah, you touch it, you buy it. <laughs> at this point, I just want to get out of there. Uh, how much for the fish? Ah, you can have it for five silver. Yeah, I, I just put a gold piece on the table so uh, please hurry. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks, you see her like grab the gold, she's hobbling away a little bit. And then she comes back and she gives you five silver on the counter. Right. And she gives you this wet bag. Like, not even like a good bag, <laughs> like a wet bag of this nothing her trout. Like a paper bag? Yeah, a paper bag, we'll say. It's like a paper, it's already like starting to break through. Why bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, Alright, um, do I see like anything else other than the fruit? Actually, including the fruit. <clears throat> like anything like uh, bread or savory. There's a couple there. of bread places. Not great. Okay. Everything seems to be a few days old. Alright, I'm okay. Yeah, and you're not very surprised about that because of yeah. considering the conditions that right. the environment you guys are in. How do they even get bread? In yeah, the yeah. freezing cold. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but wait, brass side, don't need a freak. Yeah. Probably still pretty yeah, true. Yeah, it's well, more it's more frozen than it is. Oh. Anyway, I want to go and buy some bread, so I want like a, a, the largest loaf I can find and just yeah. approach to the and we'll just, stand. Yeah, so we just speed that up. We'll just say like, you just found yeah. a nice good loaf of bread. You actually see it, like her again. She's like, oh, I get back for more. She's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she's like hobbled her away to this other oh, car. No. Oh shit. And she's got like a huge loaf of bread and she's just like, <sighs> oh, looks like I can't get rid of you. And she gives you like a full <laughs> loaf of bread. How so much? Like, that'll be a shilver. I just flick her a silver out of grab, snatch it. You see her like try to catch it, she's like fumbling a little bit. I'm already gone. Yeah. I'm walking back already. I'm using my quick foot ability yeah. to get back as fast as Virgil. I would have gotten up probably after a few minutes. It, it, like all, all of my movements are gonna be like slow because I, I'm not really sure of myself right now. When I woke up coughing salt water, was yeah. it physical salt water? That wasn't It like, was real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would be like being assaulted. Not a, not a pun, not a pun. No. I was just trying to go to sleep, and then all that happened. You have I'd be a bit, I'm, I'm in a bad mood. Uh, yeah, I go downstairs, I guess I see the kobolds, I give them a nod. I don't really want to talk to anyone right now, so I'm going to go out the front, and... Can I go to where a shrub was planted? I want some isolation, but at least shrub. So it would be like talking to myself almost. Yeah. So just to recap, Shrub is a sentient shrub that was brought to life through the awakening spell. You guys had found him in an elven sanctuary in the lonely woods, and he stated that he was brought to life by a frost druid named Ravison, which you guys have not met, don't know what she looks like, but Shrub has said that she is not just cast the spell on him, but other creatures and life forms to give them heightened sentience. And he was left behind as Ravison went somewhere so she kind of hid him in the elven sanctuary. You guys just happened to find him. He pleaded for you guys to take him with you and plant him somewhere so he could start growing. And that's what you guys did. So Steve took him to the woods just behind your inn. He dug a hole, planted shrub there and let him enjoy his life. So you easily follow in the tracks behind the house, follow into the woods behind and you go through it and you eventually see what appears to be one plant that differed from the other. Mm -hmm. And it's this array of branches. Drum's been here for two days now, and he already seems to be growing quite larger since you've last seen him. Okay, and cool. Spread out. He's gone from three feet to four and a half feet. Hello, Chubb. Oh, hello, Virgil. I really regret coming here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't say that. We're friends. Friends it is. That's a very generous term, but uh, it is good to see you. It looks like you're doing well. I am doing great. I told you all I need was to be planted. And now I'm planted, and this is great. Just as easily as we planted you, we can dig you up and take you back to where you came from. So, uh, you know, don't be too cheeky. 
Okay. <laughs> Look, okay, I just... I, we don't need to talk anymore. I just want to... I'll sit here and we can just sit in silence. Oh, but I love talking. Oh, I know. <laughs> let's, tell you, let's talk. I haven't seen you in two days. Let's talk about your day. <laughs> I'd really rather not. Can we talk about yours? Excellent. I can tell you about a day. So, at approximately 0500, I saw a beetle climb on me. I was like, hey, beetle, you shouldn't be on me. But come on, not Go on, sorry. Oh, have no, a berry. No. At 0510, there was like, you started... No, no, no. no. It's, uh, I bet it was a very interesting day. Uh, uh, I, I, can, I can talk now, I guess. No, we, we, uh, we expect to be venturing off uh, today. Um, we finished the job uh, just down the road. And it cleared out the mine. Uh, it was quite a fruitful experience, I think. Uh, really, I'm just talking to stop you from talking. So, if it seems uninteresting, it's because of that. Oh no, it sounds very interesting. What mine? What's a mine? Uh, I get up and I start to walk away. I'm done with this conversation. Thought it was going to be good for me to come out here and talk to someone who's not really someone, but... Yeah. Have a good day. What's a mine? Is a mine of you? Is it me? Oh, hell I pay that no more mind and I start... I pick up my pace and walk away. What would you like to do, Steve? Oh, I'm heading to that blacksmith to get some of the things and ask a few questions because I guess two birds, one stone. You go to the blacksmith in Lonelywood. He hasn't started working yet. He seems to be just kind of opening up shop, getting the furnace going, getting ready, getting his equipment out. And then he stops about midway as he looks and sees this giant metallic humanoid autonomous figure walk towards him. This man looks very burly. He's got a thick black chin strap beard and with a goatee coming down, nearly burnt off eyebrows, black hair. He's about six foot tall, very strong looking, but bulbous stomach. You look at him and you hear, before you can say anything, Oh, hello! Oh, no, no! This is uh, quite a surprise. Well, well uh, how did this, sir? How are y'all doing this, this fine morning? Oh, well, I'm doing excellent. I'm, I'm looking, uh, wondering if you could uh, help me out with a few things. Oh, well, sure, I certainly can. I, um, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know how to fix whatever you are. Oh, that's all right. I, I, I fixed myself. That's fine. Uh, I'm actually looking for some materials. Just some common materials. Oh, certainly. What can I do for you? You got something in your, in your throat? There? No. Why do you ask? No, I just... Uh, anyway, so uh, I'm, I'm here with the... You, you know, the, the party that helped bring back the logging game here in this... Um, that's actually... I'm part of that party. And uh, I was wondering if you could... Uh, I'm, I'm looking for a little bit of iron and some uh, some clay. Just some basic... <laughs> uh, you, what happens is you hear like you hear that drop and then you hear him like because he starts coughing he's like <laughs> and you see like this thing fall out of his throat oh that's that's great oh, oh no <laughs> uh, oh it's oh is that a... sorry sorry about that yeah. nah sorry. I, I, this I, is I, story. I had some bad knucklehead trout earlier and it's just that <laughs> uh, one of the bowls got lurched in my throat right I'll, I'll make sure to look out for that just in case that happened. That was that clicking sound you just heard. Oh, that's right. <coughs> yeah, I, I'm looking at it right now. That's quite a big bone. Didn't he just say, is there something in your throat? He's like, no, why do you ask? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing coin. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, oh, nice, nice. Alright, that's a bit better. Yeah, I asked me if something in my throat. I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little bit embarrassed because I was halfway through that sandwich. You came out of nowhere. Uh, I've never seen, I'm not racist. But I've never seen one of your kind before, and it's kind of like that's right. I'm, I'm quite unique, I guess. And you see a little bit of color in his face now. You oh. realize he was choking. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, eyes broken, I guess. What can I do for you? Yeah, uh, yeah, just looking for those. Uh... Well, I tell you what, if you're one of them fellas that came around here and actually like you know helped restart logging business, like that's I got a little brother as a logger, and he's recently been that. Like, 
I had him in the workshop here doing the blacksmith, and he's horrible, you know. So like, if you you get him, you got to back in the logging business. I take it. Oh, that's hey. I'm actually really happy. So yeah, you can have this for free if you want. Oh, that's that's. Yeah, just don't tell anyone about what you saw. Your secret safe for me, sir. The blacksmith, yeah, gives you the clay and all that stuff. Thank you very much, sir. By the way, my name is Steve. It's for Scientific Team Epsilon Variable Executor, but Steve's fine. Extend my hand for handshake. And he goes and he sends out this big, fat hand. Coming in ash. And he gives you a nice shake. Oh, that's great. My name is Essex. It's nice to meet you, Essex. Thank you very much. I also have a... Another question for you. Since yeah, go ahead. What's your uh, your feeling about cold? Uh, they feel a bit... Uh, I guess nowadays they feel a bit cold. Um, a little bit scaly, I guess. Maybe. Uh, yeah, so, I think, uh, it, I think it water, <laughs> they'd be a little bit sickly. Oh, okay, right. So uh, if, if you were to uh, see a cold, what would, would you do? Would you be fine with seeing one around town, or would uh, would it be a situation where maybe the town might get up in arms a little bit? I haven't personally seen one. I know about them. Kobolds, you know, they can be a little bit mischievous and feisty. I that's, guess that's to their... That's true, that's true. Yeah, I guess that's more to their dragon upbringing nature. Listen, buddy, I'm just a blacksmith that eats knucklehead trout sandwiches. Uh, and apparently not very good at it. Uh, no, my wife cooked <laughs> them up earlier. They're not great. Uh, is is your, your wife happens to be the one... Does she, uh, what, what does she do in town here? She sells knucklehead trout sandwiches. <laughs> ah, that's, uh, maybe I'll go buy, go past and buy some. Yeah, I'll be honest, I didn't really... You'll see for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Steve has no idea what that means. Oh, yeah, I will see for myself, that's right. Uh, Anyway, thank you very much for your uh, service and your... uh, I gotta thank you for your your service and your hospitality. Oh, I heard you boys are opening up that new ramsgate. Oh, we're trying to. We're we're trying to. We're not getting started. I wouldn't mind visiting and taking a few days off there. Uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make sure to get back to you on that one, Essex. Yeah, ever since this winter started, I haven't had a holiday in two years. Oh, yeah, right. The winter's been gone for two years. That's right. You're not from here, are you? I, I am not, sir. <laughs> I, I must stick out like a sore thumb in this this area. Yes, you do. You're John Robot. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's right. uh, I mean, I have means of looking like something else, but, you know, if, if it's ever necessary. But uh, most of the people have been quite friendly. That's, that's good to hear we're counting us people. All right, well, you be on your way now, yeah, mister. Yeah, I will. Thank you very much, sir. Once I leave the blacksmith, I'll, uh, I'll head back to the to the shed at the Ramsgate and start building from the idea that I have in my head. Uh, so, straight up, get back to Ramsgate. Copper does know how to cook. He just doesn't like to. Okay, cool. Um, we'll, we'll tell you what. We'll make a performance <laughs> check to okay. see how overall it'll be. All right. Uh, 11. Yeah. So, I feel it the fish expertly. <laughs> I'm very, like, I'm, I fish all the time. You want to roll for it, dude? See how you Normal, see Okay, alright, alright. Normally, in a typical situation where I roll higher than 15, I would fill it at expertly. <laughs> I would basically grill it over the over coal, if there is coal available. I assume there is. Yeah, there's coal. Around. There's some coal available. I've got the bread and I've sliced Ooh. them, like, nice and thick. Yeah. They're like kind of also being put on the grill, like to toast them, very on the on the cool side of the grill, and uh, they will be presented with a nice like large plate, hot, entire fish fillet on it, and then uh, the bread sprinkled around the side with some extra berries. I've set it up on the table, and I'm just like just gonna start ripping into it with my paws, slice of bread, chuck the fish on there with some berries spread on top, and munch away. 
You come, you come back, you cook. Virgil is... I can probably sound back. Now. You're back by yeah. now? Yeah. You're still hearing the beeping sound. <laughs> That's deeply concerning. Yeah. Is it? Have I picked up anything more about like a pattern? No. No. But can you make me a wisdom saving throw, please? 21. You walk in and you smell this like really bad smell. What, you're like, what is this? Um, and you see Kappa and he's munching away, he's eating, he's having a good time. You hear, my word, this is delectable. And you you hear this, but you don't see Kappa's mouth move. My, my jaw would drop, uh, but I wouldn't want to mention it in case it was a one-off. And then again, <laughs> you hear, you're thinking, what the hell? And then you hear another voice going, and then you hear another voice, which you can recognize as Steve, but you look around, you can't see him. And if I put this in here... And it's all happening. So you're hearing Carpers, Steve's, one of the kobolds, this beeping sound, all at the same time, intensity your head. And if I put this in And you take a breath, and with your 21, you're able to shut those off, except for the beeping, which still remains. In, in what I could describe, I would describe as like, it looks like he's in a bad mood, and I, uh, I slam my door and I go into bed. So, hour goes by. Am I still beeping? Uh, yeah. So now it's the day, it's now 8 o'clock in the morning. What would you guys have to do? Who wants to do what here? Kobolds are taking a little break. I, I've been so deeply focused on everything else that's already happened that I've not really paid any attention to my tome, so I want to flick through that. You start looking through the tome, and again, it's, you feel like it's a wet page. If you do it, it'll tear. Yeah. But it doesn't. So I'm very daintily. Yeah. yeah. And you turn through all these old, like, yellowish pages that they changed with being under the water. water yeah. yeah and what you see is running ink on the page writing these new cantrips for you to utilize to your win as you start reading through you see droops down and drips in the page and you see what's written first one would be firebolt followed up with sapping sting and then i took shape water and so each of these come with a description on how they work how to use them and it's got like a little drawing that looks like it's not moving but it looks like it's moving as it transitions okay from initiating of the phase like activating the cantrip to actually working yeah all right uh, yeah i'm just trying to just trying to regain some of my sanity you know one of these guys now well, I guess I'm, I'm done with my creator. Yeah, actually, let's go to your creation. You're in the barn. You're in the final phase of... You've got this like little makeshift workbench, which is just obviously an old bench that was used for some of the tools. Mm -hmm. So there was some things on hand for you to use. And you're in the makeshift of this last part. And you remember this from your dream, the part where you have to put it all together. So mm -hmm. right now, because your robot's a sphere, yeah. And so it's got like these metal pieces which are curved and they're all stuck out and there's a core in the center. Mm -hmm. And if you close it up and then apply magic, yeah. you seal it up and you will put life into your robot. And you're at that last phase and what we see right now is this mixture of clay and ice. Yeah, so I guess I'm doing the finishing touches and doing the, like the little incantation to add the spell to it. You close the shell and it makes this perfect sphere. And as you close it, we see you apply Arcana to it. That envelops your robot. I guess you tell me what we see. He's like kind of spherical. So it's like two palm sizes kind of. And then the top of it's got like a blue light that just flickers on. Kind of comes to life with a hum. The blue light turns on and it flicks up, has like little legs. And then the two like metallic two blades come out. So all we see is this robot and it pops out and it's on the table. You let it go for two seconds and you just see it looks around, it looks at you. It has
has a speed of 40 feet. So oh, it's shit. Very, it's pretty so quick. It's very quick. And it's like zipping around on the table. Like there's like a middle set of legs that yeah. come out a little bit higher. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, they yeah. come out into like little blades. And you see him just go up to a piece of little bit of log that was chopped up and he just goes, mm-hmm. and it turns into like dicey and then looks at you, <clears> pointing <throat> the daggers up at you. I give him a thumbs up. And then it puts the daggers away. Hold well on, buddy. And then it walks up to you. And then, yeah, I just pick him, like put my hand down, walks up into my hand. As I pick him up, his legs retract. And I go, like, I've got a little pouch on my side. And then, uh, yeah, I head back inside. Cool. Uh, Copper. Before he heads inside, because uh, I'm outside shooting trees and shit. Kind of uh, my word, what is that? Oh, uh, well, it's my little buddy. His name's SBF. Stands for uh, Steve's first friend. Um, he's ready for battle. How about you make me one too? <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, I already put most of my power into your gun. Alright, you go back to shoot in the forest. <laughs> And you look back at the gun and, and we get a little scene of Steve two nights before took your gun and applied some arcana to it to make it slightly more magical. So what'd you name the gun? <laughs> it's called Deadass. So that's your that's your magic item. It's either Deadass okay. or you call it the Glockenballs. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, don't have to load it. I got it automatically loads itself when there's nothing in the chamber. It has uh, increased damage. Plus one. And range is increased as well. Is there like small creatures running around in the forest? Yeah, there's always small creatures running around. Go ahead and make... I'll give you a choice. If you're proficient with perception or nature. I am proficient in perception. Go for the... Yeah, make a perception check. 18. As you walk back out and you're looking at dead ass, you look up and instantly as you do, you see this little squirrel. It's trying to make a beeline to the grass. I want to have my dead ass holstered and then I want to pull it out and shoot the squirrel all in one swift motion as fast as possible. Roll for attack. Nat 20. So, Carpa, he has his hand over his holstered gun. He sees this squirrel jump down, and just before, he waits until its feet touch the snow, draws his gun, shoots the squirrel, and holsters the gun. If you were looking from the side, you'd just see his hand move. The air pressure, like, the snow, like, brushes over it, and it's just completely shattered into yeah. a million pieces. And that's what you see. You don't see the squirrel, you just see the haze of the shot and the obliteration of this little bit uh-huh. of blood and spurred. Nah, shut up. Uh, thank you, it was, it was nothing. <laughs> I, just, I start like heading towards the house. As we're walking back, I'll say to Steve, it's like, uh, so what's on the docket for today? Well, uh, I think we still need to collect our, uh, our reward from the, the man that looked a bit like John Stamos. We uh, need to head back to Tourmaline and collect our uh, reward for that, and then back on to these motors, I guess we kind of forgot. <laughs> <laughs> kind of My forgot God. about them a little bit. My word. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm characteristic you know, of the main story. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get back to that. Yes, we shall collect the reward immediately. Alright, I'll, I'll head upstairs. I'll just knock on the door and. Yeah, it's coming. When he comes in, when I say come in, I call myself off guard a little bit. He sees me without my hood on. I'm so happy! <laughs> <laughs> For the listeners, Virgil's very secretive about most things, but especially about his appearance. And as Steve would have just learned, if he knows what these are, it's because he's a drow. Previously, I've always been wearing a hood and a face mask and goggles. So, what does Steve see? Big point to the ears, that point like outwards, and jet black hair with yeah, blue, almost translucent skin. I love Medora. Uh, we're gonna head down to a tourmaline and uh, grab a reward from the handsome half orc man. Uh, sorry for my absence this morning. I'm uh, finding myself to be uh, changed, but uh, I will make sure it does not get in the way of our interpersonal relationship. You had a, a long night? Uh, you could say that. That's uh, well. I won't get into it right now. I think maybe last night was quite weird for a lot of us. Strangely. When I realise my hood's down, I, it's like a moment of shock, but I don't mention it or anything. I just, I, I just quickly pull it up and pull my mask. And I, I turn and go back downstairs. Okay, uh, cool. 
follow him down the set. Well, are we ready to go then? Uh, yeah, it's not easy later. I'll turn the track all your money. Tracks looks at you, he's got his clipboard in his hand. Ah, very well. And I presume everything is prepared for us to launch here as well. Uh, yeah. All right, boys, we're in business. Just uh, maybe be a little bit careful with people around town. They might not take much of a laugh. Oh, yes. Okay, that is, makes sense. Uh, I shall be super sneaky. Thank you for letting me know. Trex, do you happen to be uh, magically inclined? I do not know what that means. Can you, do you cast any spells? No. <laughs> I am sure I shall be fine. Alright, well, I guess you're in charge. Uh, it looks like you already are in charge, which is great. And you see, like, the other five kobolds. One thing, again, the thing that splits between Trex and the rest of his party of kobolds, they don't have the same lexicon as him. They speak broken when they talk. Trex is the one actually giving the orders, outlining the measurements. Just double checking, you would like this to be an in for establishment and business. Y yeah, yeah, sure. Then hopefully we'll make a deadline for a week and we'll try to have this accomplished. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, you don't have to rush, don't hurt yourself. Yes, uh, if I am to understand correctly, uh, eventually we will be moving out of this place and it will be, uh, the, the lodgings upstairs will be used entirely for business. Okay. Alright, yeah, I guess we had Yeah. stop yeah. making our way. So, journey from Lonelywood to Tourmaline is off Lake Mare Dolden. You guys make your way down south of Lonelywood, the only path to Tourmaline, and it's a familiar walk. As you guys start walking within the first 20 minutes, a haze comes in, uh -oh. which starts to blind you guys. What I'd like to do is, who's leading the party here? Carpa? Sure. Okay, so Carpa, sure. can you make our survival check for me, please? Uh, 12. Awesome. Um, about an hour and a half of walking, you're trudging through the snow, the snow's picking up, and you realize suddenly that you're not hearing footsteps behind you. Okay. And you turn around and you're trying to peer through the veil of snow, and you can't see anyone behind you. And <gasps> you are on track. Oh no. But then we go to Steve and Virgil, who are currently walking, trying to follow Papa, but they can't find you at all. They're just lost. And then you two look around, you realize you're nowhere even near the lake. And you know for a fact that the lake is within eyeshot as you guys make your way down to the lake. Uh, okay, now let's not try to panic here. I would more, I just like to say, before things get worse, we obviously lost our track and our, uh, our compatriot. I uh, do not think weirdly of this, but I'm going to grab you so I don't lose you. Right, uh, that's, that's fine. Um, I'm grab you on the shoulder. As you feel Virgil's hand clasp you on the shoulder, mm -hmm. Virgil, you feel a furry hand clasp you on your shoulder, and you turn around, you see in the haze an Arctic bear that's put his paw on you. That's my grin. And then Steve, you turn around, you'd see Virgil and then the bear. And the bear says, You are lost. Right, I think we are. I think you need to go back <laughs> on the right path. Did you mind uh, pointing us? Uh, excuse me, I'm uh, sorry. Caught me off guard. Could you point us in the right direction? I'll be happy to do that, but you have to keep your voices down. And then you see nearby two little bear cubs. Uh, I do not want to interrupt your, your child's uh, arrest. I, I apologize, sir. If you could uh, just point us in the right direction, we'll quietly move away. And you see the bear gets down on all fours, look towards the cubs, and then you see further in the distance another bear. And you see it like kind of makes a growl and communication, and the other bear replies. Turns to you too, and he goes, All right, now come with me, walk carefully. And you guys spend about 20 minutes walking this bear. You can have communications if you want. Excuse me, uh, my name's Steve, by the way. Central Scientific Team, Excellent Variable Executor. Steve's fine. Um, 
Have, have you always been able to speak common? I've never been able to speak in terms of your language. How long ago did that happen? I'd say about a couple months ago. Right. So all of a sudden someone did. Uh, do you remember, could you describe the person who made it this way? Won't be able to tell you that. All I know is something happened. I turned into this. Hasn't really changed too much. Right. But here's the thing. I've seen other animals and other creatures take a turn for the worse. I've seen two wolves become savages using their heightened abilities now to not just hunt, but be vindictive towards the townsfolk. You gotta watch out for the dangerous parts. Right. Uh, we, we apologize for uh, intruding on your your area. That's we, fine. We meant no harm. And, uh, well, thank you very much for not causing us harm. Usually when I travel on people, they don't understand me. I guess that's one benefit of now me being able to talk. And you get to a point where, it's still haze, but you reach a point where you can kind of see in the distance the shimmering water. This is far as I'm gonna take you. Your choice of where you're going is up to you, but... This is where the humans live, so... Thank you very much. It's all yes, good. Your assistance is greatly appreciated. Uh, thank you for not, uh, you know, just attacking us immediately. Well, thank you for not resorting to violence. Did you happen to have a, a, a name before you were given this sentence? I don't have a name at all. I'm sure that I can speak for my companion here that we would be happy to call you a friend. Yeah, well, if you want to call me friend, that sounds like an alright name. Well... Thank you very much, friend. We'll be on our way, and we'll uh, we'll make sure not to uh, not to tread off the path again. So good. Just watch where you're going. This is dangerous times. And he starts walking off, and he goes, "Goodbye, scientific team. Epsilon variable executor." Goodbye, friend. And, and I, I, I turn to <laughs> I turn to Bird. Most humans don't even get that right. <laughs> Kappa, we fade back to you. Kappa's pretty smart. He hasn't. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't like call out or anything. Probably just continues walking slowly, expecting them to catch up, until he gets to terminal and just waits at the border. And that's where we reach. You guys are slowly walking your way down. I've also got a cigar. Yeah, and you see that light up his face in the darkness of this haze. Oh, howdy! Stop for a little smoke. About time you guys rocked up. Yeah, we're, we're having a chat with a bear. He could have killed us. He didn't. He let us back. Oh my! How unfortunate. Uh, okay. Shall we? (laughs) Hey everyone, sorry for the disruption. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is just a friendly notice that this would be a good moment to take a break and have a breather if you want. If not, then stay tuned as we resume. So, you all arrive at Tourmaline. Before you, Tourmaline is a small, picturesque town on the northwest border of Lake Doldrum. This beautifully constructed town of wood and stone is adorned with carvings of wizards, homunculi, and tigers. However, even before the Frost Maiden spell, it was considered one of the coldest towns, with a strong cold wind from the north continually sweeping down due to its poor layout. Although a fishing town, the settlement mainly thrives off its mining industry, harvesting various gems, but predominantly tourmalines. The town is led by the half-orc speaker, Horace Matthew, who bears a resemblance to John Stamos. The town is easily recognised by the symbol of a white, open-mouthed fish head at the bottom of a sky-blue shield, attempting to eat a large, rose-pink tourmaline symbolising their jewel industries. To appease the Frost Maiden, the town sacrifices warmth. The last you guys were here, you assisted Speaker Matthew in freeing the mines from a grill, which had arised from the Underdark. 
Your assistance was needed since the head of the town's militia, a middle-aged human man named Sparrow, refused to let his guards intervene. You as a party recognised that Sparrow was intentionally doing this to besmirch Matthew due to an unknown personal grudge. After reclaiming the mines for the town, Speaker Matthew stated he would like to personally investigate your claim before providing you your reward, and so you all left for Lonely Wood. As you now all enter this town, a cold chill blows through. What would you all like to do? We'll get straight in the scene. So you guys go to the town hall and you're passing the people, and it's very busy, and you guys get some little glances from the militia. You can kind of probably hint that word's gone around that you guys have freed the mines to start back business. You guys reach the town hall, you let yourselves in, and you see Speaker Oris Massey. And he looks at you all and he goes, Ah, oh, gentlemen, what a pleasure. I've been waiting for you guys all morning. No, believe me when I say that uh, it is our pleasure to, uh, to see you again. I do, uh, I do apologize for our tardiness. Uh, it seems that we had um, some trouble uh, getting back here. Uh, despite the walk being something we've done a, f- a, few, a fair few times now, uh, conditions are mm-hmm. uh, less than perfect. More than understandable. With the craziness of this, uh, the Frostmaker's curse, it's unpredictable. But you're here now. So, first things first. And you see him turn around, he goes to his desk and he grabs a pouch. And he goes to you, Virgil, and gives you the pouch of gold. And he says, I spent many hours yesterday and into the late evening inspecting every crevice. I was quite impressed with the beast of Bremen. We are men of our world. Well, news has slowly come around, but I'm officially going to reveal it to the people actually in the next 20 minutes. Would you like to be a company? Will the Sparrow be there? He is in charge of the militia. He has to be there. Oh my word, that is excellent. I will be sure to attend. Very well. You guys are now in front of the town hall and you see all kinds of people. You see a woman with her two kids, you see a man and a husband. Both are very gruff looking but they're in arm and arm holding each other hoping for good news. You see a man with two tiefling twin daughters. They're looking up, waiting for the news and in the crowd, Kappa, since you were the one that wanted to know specifically, you see Barrett, the leader of the militia in rage and disgust at Boris and at you three. I'll just tip a cap. But <laughs> oh, he's, lo- he's looking at us. He's looking at you three and Oris. I'll have like SBF in my hand and one blade will come out and it'll look like he's flipping him off. I'll pretend like, oh no, like I didn't have a person. And Oris starts the, starts the conversation. He says, my people, yesterday you came to me with complaints that our lovely town was no more that we would be just like the weather, wasted away. But I held hope that we would recover. And that hope has paid off. As these lovely people, he gestures to you three, the beasts of Bremen have reclaimed our minds. We can work, we can survive, and we can continue our legacy. And everyone's cheering, they're happy that the mines, they can go back into occupation. And you see Sparrow frustrated in the distance. He's just holding absolute disdain and you see him clench his fists in a rage, spits on the ground, and storms off hastily. I was, wait, I guess, I, I, I don't know. I'd say I'd probably be standing next to him on the, on the stage. I uh, just wish, you see that about uh, uh, Sparrow. That, that was an interesting reaction. I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna pretend I'm still focused on everything in front and just like nod acknowledgement. So, Oris goes on a couple more minutes of rambling. He's talking about the pride of Tamlin, and then he turns around. Ah, uh, would you gentlemen like to say any words? Uh, just would like to uh, thank all of you for uh, l- uh, letting us uh, uh, even uh, perform this task for you. Uh, uh, our reputation is uh, something that we aim to grow and uh, having um, 
this as another notch under our belt uh, will surely uh, facilitate that. Uh, it is also, I, I, I've come to appreciate your town and uh, I am glad to see that it will uh, no longer be under threat of uh, having to relocate or anything. Carpus got his hands on his hips, tapping his foot, looking at you, waiting for you to be done. Steve's got thumbs up. And with that quietness after the speech, the crowd, <coughs> the crowd goes into an uproar yeah. as they're celebrating, and then you hear one of them chant, Be so Bremen! Be so Bremen! Oh, yeah, let's and live in it. And yeah, a couple yeah. more people are like, Be so Bremen! Yeah. Be so Bremen! Waving. <laughs> waving to the crowd. And then the, an Oris turns around and goes, That would be all! Please, we will resume work tomorrow. Go and celebrate. Enjoy! And everyone's like, Woo! And <laughs> the one side! Woo! Where did Sparrow look like he walked towards? So he was directly facing the podium, and he turned directly behind himself to go down the alleys of houses. Well, I was just, yeah, after everyone clears off, I wanted to pull uh, Oris aside. Uh, Oris, did you uh, see uh, Spano's reaction? I thought that was quite bizarre. No, not really. I didn't really notice. Uh, it just seems that uh, he of all people should have been uh, overjoyed at the news, but uh, he just looked uh, angrier than ever. He's probably upset because he thought that maybe this downfall would be my downfall. Oh, do you know where he, uh, he resides? Yeah, of course I do. I'm, I'm the speaker of this town. Of course I know where the leader of the militia will reside. Would you perhaps be able to direct us? I wish to follow up with him further. Okay, oh, very well. You see he um, grabs a map. Wait here. You go direction south, then left, right. Around here you'll see uh, his establishment, his home. Yeah, is it just you? Uh, I'll trail you? behind. I'm not following. Okay. He didn't tell me to follow him. So, so what would you do in I don't this know situation? Where he's going. Um, I just basically see where the party's at. Like where all the... The cool and handsome looking people are going and okay. I head to there, like if it's a bar or interesting adjective to use. Yep, that's fair. Hey. You join some crowd of people, like there's just a crowd of people and you get in there like, we're going to uh, the blue clam! A couple follows them to the blue clam, typically celebrates having a drink and trying to get laid. So do I see any let's just roll a die. If you get DC oh. of eighteen and above, you'll get laid in the first two minutes. I got eighteen. <laughs> just in there. Just eighteen. I'll let you describe the person you want to bet here. Uh, Carpus sees a dwarf who is extremely tall for a dwarf, but is still very short for him. They're like pretty good looking as far as like he can tell, like his tastes. Yep. This is like just, we don't just get it on in the street. Oh, we not? We had drinks. Yeah. We, we pounded a few drinks yeah. straight away and then we pounded. And we transitioned. To you mm-hmm. two, um, Virgil and Steve. You are following the map that uh, Spickle Oris has made for you for Sparrow's location. You get to uh, Two Story Cottage and you see at the door two guards keeping watch of Sparrow's home. But Sparrow is nowhere to be seen. I'll pull Virgil aside and be like, you got, a, you got a plan of what's going on? <sighs> he, is, he does seem a little bit shady. There's, there's, like, there's kind of no reason for him to be upset about the thing that he wanted fixed. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it feels like quite a reaction to someone who just wanted to seize the, the chance to take power. I feel like there's something more going on behind closed lines. I do think if maybe we looking like us rock up, he probably won't be too happy to talk to us. But since wait, that's that's not an issue. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I was, maybe we uh, change our looks before. Uh, what are we going with? Uh, Girl Scouts or uh, what do you think this guy like? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't. 
I mean, are we trying to seduce him? <laughs> I just want to be guaranteed entry. I don't know. Right. Um, if we go uh, feminine, and then we could maybe seduce the guards, and then I dick, you know. Right, away. right. I, I like that. Okay. All right. Uh, maybe we'll uh, pull into a little alley on the side here. Do I respect? I'll do my artificer thing. You do your artificer thing. Artificer thing as well. Yes. Right. I don't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So you guys making sure like you're out of view of the guards? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we'll lay we'll into like a little alley. Yeah, yeah, maybe okay. like a straight deal. Yeah. <clears throat> maybe well. make a stealth check then. It was four. Alright, so eight total. So you two alleyway, you guys pull aside and you go to perform the spell Disguise Self. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I've got Disguise Self. I'm using the spell, yeah. And what do you two make yourself look like? Picture Virgil, but with longer black hair and like white skin, like a more reputable elf. Steve is gonna make himself into like the shortest he can, tiefling, five foot eight. So we've got a male elf and a female tiefling. Well, yeah. I'm a female elf. Oh, you're female. I am. I'm a female. Yeah, we okay. yeah. I'll be a female as well. You look quite uh, quite attractive. Yeah. You, uh, you know what? Maybe we just <laughs> try to be quiet. I feel like we'll have to talk at least a little bit to them. Right, I'm gonna have to think of a female voice, aren't I? Um, hello! <laughs> Steve does a terrible, <laughs> terrible <laughs> female voice. Maybe I did the talking. Maybe. Well, you can try as well, you can try. I don't know, maybe it, it, might, it might be what they're into. I'll, uh, I'll stick with this voice then. Okay, um, yes, uh, so we are um, ladies of the night uh, wishing to come and um, bring his spirits back up? Right, okay. <laughs> I think I'm okay with that. I'm not touching or doing anything, though. No. Oh, no, 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 not I. Right. Uh, <coughs> Alright, let's just go. We walk back to the... There's two guys stationed out front, right? There's two guys stationed front. Now, because you're self-checked, this is the way I want to run it. You guys went that far. Yeah. And so the guard, one of the guards sees two heads pop out, thinks nothing of it, sees you two just walk back down. But he recognises you as the two in the crowd, kind of vaguely. And then he looks over again and he sees the bright colours of you two performing the spell. And he sees <laughs> that just appear in the alley. And then he hears two people going, <laughs> And then out from where you two were, appear these two women. You guys walk out and we'll play the scene now. Hey, hey there, gentlemen. It's uh, uh, this battle. The first one that didn't see you guys was just kind of like, Well, howdy there, ladies. Uh... Well, of course it's Barrel's home, that's why we keep him watch. <laughs> and the second one's just like, uh, Bill? And he's just like, yeah. Speed by time. <laughs> that one's come a little loud, fancy little ladies like you're doing around here. A <laughs> uh, Bill. Well, without, without further ado, um, you can call me uh, Virgina, and uh, it, is, it is my intention to uh, facilitate the Sparrow's needs. I saw he was none too pleased about uh, the recent happenings. Oh yeah, he wasn't happy, and the other was just like, "Bill, oh, come on, man!" He's just like, "Robin, stop it, man! Come on!" Man. He's like, "Now these are these are my ladies are asking just, some just questions." Just want to squeeze in my bosoms together. Seems <laughs> <laughs> so good. Put his hand on the the one that seems to Bill. Bill. understand. Yeah. Yeah. Bill's just like, and he he looks like a little older man. Oh well, uh, you know, I'm not feeling too great myself. <laughs> and the other one's just like, <laughs> you see the other one, Robert. He's just like. Bill. He's like, Robert, what, what do you want, man? What do you want? He's like, Bill. Steve, he's a dude. like puppy dog eyes. Mm. Oh, like, chris like a charisma. Five. One of your eyes actually glitch. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill has a scene. He's just like, kind of like talking to Robert. And Robert's scene is like, 
Bill. <laughs> Listen, man. That eye, her eye just glitched in and out. She's not a real person. How dare you? And he's just like, well, actually, Robert, I think I know the difference. Oh, yes, and let him tell you, uh, we are quite uh, quite special women if you uh, catch my drift. Uh, we've got magical horns. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> I've been trying to say. They're the idiots that just read the mind. They were around the corner. I just saw them perform a spell to test out this disguise. I don't know what you think you saw, but that is, you, you, are, you are gravely mistaken. Bill, if you, if you do let us in, and we, if we can see him, uh, you are more than welcome to join. There's two of us. You see Bill, we're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Bill's just a one-man army. I don't, I won't be with another man. I'm happy to have both of you, though. Oh, you can take turns. And, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not a big fan. And Robert's just like, he's just rubbing his eyes. He's, I'm just, oh, fuck it, fuck this. And he just pulls out his whistle. And you hear like a, like a high-pitched whistle, whistle out. And then Bill's like, what are you doing, man? He's like, why call reinforcements? And Rob's like, they're not. <laughs> I, I turned to Bill. I don't know, I want to leave the house entirely right now. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez it. Uh, okay, yeah, I want to find another alley because yeah, I don't want to be seen taking drop. it down. All right, so you guys go to the, another alley. You hear a couple of guards, not a lot, but you hear a couple of guards move in. You, you assume they're going to that direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to leave. He's got no proof that it was us. Well, that went... Terribly. Uh, yes, we tried. <laughs> that is about as much of a failure as I think we could have had. Uh, but I'm not shaking this feeling that, uh, you know, uh, Sparrow still has some uh, ulterior motive. But right. it looks like we. I, I, I feel like it's still hot right now. We, there's uh, not, not, not much we can do. I agree with you, but I, I do have. Were you actually gonna go through? For information! <laughs> right, oh, right. Like, should we just join the festivities for now, or. Uh, yes, I suggest we uh, regroup with Carper uh, uh, once he's got his rabbit rocks off, and then uh, maybe make our way. So, I, I uh, as, yeah. as I've done laying with. Her name is Mary. As I've done laying with <laughs> Mary, I say, well, uh, off to save uh, various other towns from certain evil. Uh, goodbye. And I just I walk out the door, and coincidentally, it's as they walk past. Yeah. Uh, you look up and you see these two, they're just like looking around nervously. <laughs> like, yeah, right, like, oh, let's, let's go somewhere else right now, very quickly. <laughs> far, far away from here, maybe on the other side of town. Great. And I'm going to start moving fast. I'm just going to fast forward you guys. After a four hour trek, you all reach Targos. A large town of stone and wood, Targos is encircled by a giant wooden wall that extends into Lake Doldrin, creating a safe harbour. Targos thrives off its fishing industry, having the biggest fishing fleet and knucklehead trout trade. This has become more difficult as of late, with the Frost Maiden spell freezing the port, creating a dangerous journey to the centre of Young Frozen Lake past the port to continue fishing trade. The town is easily recognised by its symbol of a single sailed black ship on a light blue face shield. This represents pride in their occupation. The town is led by their human speaker, Nerth Maxwelldana, and makes human sacrifices to appease the Frost Maiden. As you guys enter, you walk through big gates, creating one of two possible entrances into Targos. This is your territory, by the way, Virgil, so... Oh, that's true. I, I want to head to this man's place. Nerth Maxwelldana's. Easy. So on your first encounter, you all found Nerth in his residence at the Luskin Arms, the oldest public home in the Ten Town settlement. Its antique architecture perfectly fits the atmosphere of a fishing town. The Luskin Arms is a huge four-story building with sturdy walls, yet has rotten floorboards and is usually plagued with drafts and rats. 
unknown as to why, Nurse resides in the largest guest suite in this establishment. You walk in, it's a little bit busier than you guys last week here, and you see the proprietor, the owner of the Luskin Arms, Owen Tarsman. Very decrepit kind of individual. He looks like he's had the short end of every stick every moment of his life. And like, you know, he's got like patchy hair. <laughs> that's like fair straw color, droopy as well on the cheeks. And he's just there serving people and like kind of upset because people keep asking him for food. And he's just like, but I'm the innkeeper. <laughs> oh, I mean, I walk up and like, oh, and my man. And yeah, like, you see someone else like, go, hey, buddy, wait, wait, you turn. Nah, <laughs> what, you getting drinks? Uh, yeah, I'm getting yeah, drinks. Yeah, that's the other one, mate. What do you mean is the other one? The, the barmaid's over there. And you see, like, this is like a very, like, big, fat, bold man. He's just like, ask for me. The barmaid, yeah. Oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Hey, guys, <laughs> apparently we should be asking the barmaid. <laughs> and everyone's just like, oh, there's a maid for the bar? And instantly, the 30 people that have been blocking this desk disappear. That's all right, Owen, I got your back, bro. Oh, it's you. That's right. I see you've been keeping your chin up because your crown's still on your head, kid. <laughs> Go for a charisma check, please. A little bit of the flappiness of the cheeks start to like lift up a little bit as you're smiling. He goes, Will, I'm doing my best. <laughs> that's right. That's all we, that's all we <laughs> can do, Owen. That's all we can do. As long as you're giving it a hundred, that's all that matters. Your name's Steve. That's right. Yes. That's right. I'm glad you remembered that. Welcome back. Thank you, Owen. Uh, I'm look. Uh, is uh, is Nathan? Nairs is not in. He is at the town hall. Right, right. That makes sense. Okay, well, nice seeing you, Will. It was nice seeing you, too. Uh, let me know if any of these guys give you some trouble. Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. I'll be back in a bit to fix them up. Okay. Alright. Everywhere but physically, it is nice to see you. See the droopiness of the cheeks <laughs> go back down. He's like... Oh, thanks, Virgil. Oh, I'm really playing. I, I, I like to have my fun. Well, I was happy to be in service. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, don't, don't mind them, Owen. And uh, I'm leaving my head with the deuces. Alright. As strange as you like, turn your back, another person just comes to you and says, Excuse me, can I get two drinks? I swear to God! <laughs> you go to the bar, man! I was in that halfway, like, out the door. And I just leave off. Yes. <laughs> You guys go to the town hall. You know where it is? Yeah. Town hall is northwest, near the three flag sailing and the port. Okay. As well as where you're, you reside, you're in. As you, you three get to the town hall, you see, as usual, two sets of guards. These guys are a bit more built than the guards at Tenerife and Lonelywood. It looks like they have somewhat proper armor. And you see outside with them having a smoke is a red tiefling with long black hair you recognize as Scaff the leader of the militia in this town. Have we talked to Scat yet? You have not. Oh, okay, yeah. So he wouldn't recognize us. Nope. Would he recognize me? As a as someone that lives here, he, he would probably be familiar with you. Good day, Scat. Uh, good evening. And he's halfway through his smoke, and you see it light up, and he exhales right in your mouth. And in your face, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you see the plume of this very charred smoke envelop your face and your sinuses. And That'll kill you, you know. But don't get my hopes up, because so far nothing's been able to kill me. That was badass. That was badass, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm always doing like country voices recently. I'm it's, 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 you're going to, and it works. Yeah. 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 I don't know why you, uh, what you want here, Virgil, but I don't think, I don't think you're in the right area, though. I live here. I have every right to be here. You live in the town hall. 
<laughs> That's right. Go, go hide. Go back to just like you always do, Virgil. Go hide. Right. Uh, I, I, have, I have no qualms with you, Scott. I'm looking for that. Right. That's correct. What you want next? And he strains up a bit. He's smaller than you, Steve, but I think he's about eye level with you, Carver. Oh, shit. If he's smaller than me, I'm going to take a step. Not too close, yep. but a little too close. We uh, finished a, a little um, errand for Nath, and he uh, asked us to come back, so we're, uh, we're just following up on that. Uh, make an intimidation check for me. 13. He actually looks up, and he gets closer towards you. I take a step back with that. I don't know if you know where you are, my old man, but that's, uh, that's very descriptive and Correct. You see, I call all the shots. Right, of course you do. And then you hear one of the guards pipe up and he goes, Um, Scar. Scar. Oh, yeah. What's, what's up, Rishi? He's a fucking muppet. They're all like he's big tieflings and he's an actual muppet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like arms are flailing. <laughs> you, can, you can see the strings. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, Um, Scar, actually. Nath was saying that he's waiting for some people to rock up to, that are resuming the lumber trade from a lonely wood. Do you remember that? And this gas are like, right, that's us. Yes, that's right. Thank you for reminding me, Richard. <laughs> it's almost like I forgot. Yeah, Nath is here. I guess you all want to come in. That would be nice. Just don't touch anything. And I mean all of you. And looks at you, Virgil. Keep distances. Now that you've got that out of the way, could you put the power bono back into your pants and let us in? <laughs> Make an intimidation check. Well, I like that. You see a little smirk appear and he goes, oh, okay, I see what it is. So we do have a set of balls on you. Alright, come on in. You two notice very passively over the course of like the few hours that have gone by today, there's been fair hints that Virgil's a bit braver than usual. You don't know if he's just confident with you guys as a group, but mm. just a little thing to take away. As the doors open, you see the intricate design of Targos's Town Hall, a large three-story building of thick wood walls and high ceilings. Targos's Town Hall is filled with many ornate riches which pay homage to its history and has many stained windows bearing the town's symbol. Various candelabra attached to the pillars in the hallway emit a red glow creating a warm radiance in colour and comfort. As the doors close, you get one glimpse of Scath not breaking eye contact, not blinking whatsoever, as he lights a new cigarette and puts it in his mouth and just lights it away. And as the doors close, he exhales one last time and the door shut. Is this the first time we've been here? This is the first time you've I been into so, the Tarkov's yeah. town. Yeah. And there's this red carpet with all these abstract designs of like triangles on the edges, like gold patterns mm. and like little blue diamonds inbuilt. And it takes up the wooden floors. And then further up is a huge round table. And up there you see Neth Maxwell He's dressed formally. Yeah, he's wearing yeah. this hide armor, but it looks very fancy. It's um, black leather. He's got his hair slicked back nicely. He's got the chiseled jawline with the sharp cheekbones, really high and narrow. His eyes are a little bit baggy. And he has his speaker medal on with the Towns insignia. And he is currently in the midst of a middle of a, a group. And he's talking to them. And you see several other individuals. Now, Virgil, can you make me please a history check to see how well you identify these people? Nine. Um, you recognize this as the council of Tarkos. You know that each town has a council. There's obviously the speaker who's in charge, but then you have the council to make decisions, especially in the towns which have been doing human sacrifices. And this is because they need the council to talk and discuss who's going to be sacrificed. Virgil, you know that for the past few years since the Frostman's Curse has been here, mm -hmm. the way they've been doing it is that they have everyone's name, that everyone's a resident, in a pile. And from that pile, 100 names are drawn. And then, because um, there's two full moon, 
on the first day of the full moon that sacrifice happens yeah second full moon that they draw the new 100 you know that that's the routine and that's what you know this council for you recognize an elderly woman named striga marx she's got gray hair wearing a little yellow hairband and she's wearing a long black gown with red velvet edges on the sleeves and on her stitching you see also camilla leone who is a little bit older than neff yep. but she's got like probably more wrinkles and she still has a little bit more color in her hair she's got short hair and there seems to be traces of silver <coughs> to her auburn red. Also dressed in this kind of same robe. And you recognize two males. One of them is a man named Salah, a middle-aged councilman. The key feature with him is the slit on his brow down yeah. to near his temple of his right eye. And you see Neff looks up and he goes, Well, I'll be damned. This seems to be quite a surprise. It's the three people that are sent on that little mission. That's right. We're, uh... Mission, mission accomplished. And he's a little smirk in his face. He goes, Oh, was that so? You, uh, care to elaborate to me and the rest of the council here? Well, we've, uh, re-secured the logging trade of Lonelywood. By all means, if that's the case, then we should be able to resume our logging trade very, very soon. But where's the proof? Uh, just, uh, As he's fumbling and like yeah. fucking around, like trying to get it right, I'll just like kind of like open the letter and I'll slide it on the table in front of him. You see, he had like a kind of an extent, like a pointing stick of some kind in his hand, and you notice that there was like a, a paper on the table. And he goes and pulls your letter over the paper, and he uh, puts the stick back down, and he reads it, and he goes, "Very well. Now, I believe there was a reward on my end, which was some information. Is that correct?" I'll nod. And he goes to the rest of the councilmen. Ladies and gentlemen of the council, if you may be so inclined and allow me to excuse myself, I do have some business to conduct. And you see, Salah actually stepped forward a bit. In all due respect, by all means, speak of Neth, are you sure this is the right thing you want to do? And share this information. And it obviously gives away that he kind of knows what the deal is. My good man Salah, what does a man have but his word? And if you cannot respect that, then I think that you need to reevaluate your priorities. You can see Sal a little bit disdained by that response, but then you see a little bit of concern on his face. And then he turns around and he goes, Very well, ah, cancel. Let's us instead just dismiss entirely. He sees three guys who step up. She goes, Agreed. Let us, uh, let us disperse for now. We'll re- reconvene on another day. And Neth, like, gestures to you guys. Oh, that's alright. I think I'll be fine. I don't need any guards to this bunch. Come on in. And you three walk into his office. And he takes a seat on a big chair that's quite ornate, very well decorated with all these kind of fancy gold and um, other structures. Very well. What information exactly will suffice for this trade? Well, uh, how about what uh, Salah was uh, thinking you shouldn't have told us to get started? Our town should deal with our town situation. He feels the same. But a deal is a deal, and so I'm willing to impart the information that our investigations concluded so far. So let me start from the beginning. The body that we found on the 29th of Summertide. Wait, was that last month? Yeah, this was the- We're in high sun, right? This was the murder that happened in Targos belonged to a human named Milton Bishops. He was a logger from our town. He was found between the town hall and three flags sailing with an ice dagger dabbed into his heart. When we brought his body back for inspection, we tried to remove the dagger and instantly upon being touched and lifted, it melted, changing state from ice to water. Hence, evidence of the murder disappearing. We did the right thing and cremated Milton. Also used that as an offer and a sacrifice. Inside check. Roll for inside. Cool. Yeah, he's telling the truth. Yeah, no, do you think that was uh, wise? Uh, yeah. 
what if the sacrifices are the person who they are sacrificed to they could tell they, they know the difference well, so far we haven't seen implications and this is true now usually we do it and you will know this virtual every first full moon this one obviously wasn't on the full moon but this person was already dead so this was just kind of like a bonus to say to the frost maiden here we really admire you taking pity and letting our town survive in your winter wonderland now let's go back to the very beginning first murder occurred on the 17th of summertide in east haven a tiefling named schmidt dalix a fisherman found on the east haven ferry with the same exact murder weapon same type of death and then we go forward and this is gonna be of interest to you eighth of high sun four days ago bremen shield dwarf named roland androck they were a traitor and also a member of council from Bryn Shander, Ooh, who left a week ago when they realized his name was drawn as the next sacrifice. Uh, Try to cheat the system. And this was something we just found out last night. They finally identified the body. Now, this one's just theory, and this is my theory, but he's probably pulled his own name out because it is fair game. Even my name is in the draw for our town realized I don't want to die and made a switch because they still had their annual sacrifice. Corruption is everywhere. Where there's politics, there is corruption. Interesting. It's quite, you've got quite a lot of insight. I'm glad you're communicating with the other towns about this, these, these happenings. How did the all find out about this frost maiden everyone keeps talking about? I take it from your tone that you're not a believer, despite the evidence outside. No, I don't think you quite understand where I'm coming from here. I wish to know how you came to begin sacrificing and where you figured out that it was necessary. <laughs> Very well. I'm willing to provide you a history lesson. You see, prior to the settlement of Ten Towns, there were other communities living in this realm. One being the Frost Druids, a circle who worshipped the Frost Maiden and the fury that she embodies. This was not a large community, and eventually, through either conflict with other clans, or a wane in their belief, this circle slowly disappeared from Icewind. However, their beliefs and history was maintained through various texts which us Dale folk recovered. At first, when the winter started building up, we didn't think anything of it. Yet, when conditions continued to worsen and showed no sign of stopping, the speakers of each town convened to discuss the matter. You see, we did not just randomly decide to worship the Frost Maiden and sacrifice people. We identified that it was her. Various reports were made of a white rock, a giant predatory bird seen flying the aurora that plagued our sky, sightings of frost druids in the tundra of the wastelands had been seen converging and a symbol of a white snowflake in a gray diamond had started to sprout in various places. Each piece of evidence matched the text we had recovered. The Frost Maiden's familiar of a white rock, the Frost Maiden's symbol, and a furious winter intensified by horrors in the tundra which promotes despair. We don't know why the Frost Maiden is here, what her plans are regarding her spell, or why other gods have not intervened to stop her actions. So about a year ago, we speakers made a decision to take this matter in our own hands as daily folk. Using the text, we identified that sacrificing a warmth was needed to appease the Frost Maiden. This could be done in three ways. One, foregoing the comfort of warmth in winter. Two, absconding food, which gave us the energy to be warm. And the third, a human sacrifice by fire, the full warmth of life to be given to the Frost Maiden. It was seen as a necessary evil, and all towns agreed that the larger towns, such as Targos, would perform human sacrifices, while the small towns, such as Lonelywood, would choose either food or warmth. Uh, 
if we were to be seeking an audience with one of these frost druids would you happen to be able to point us in said direction or would you know of where to find that's so how long have you been in Icewind uh, my entire life and you should know this you should know a lot about Icewind and how it works and who I should guys. know this you don't even know yourself I'm sorry who's doing the explaining and who's doing the asking um, if you want to get Kaku and me you can sit outside and I'll talk to the rest of your party well, I have no more no further use for you anyway and I start to leave unless yeah, you walk out so you just see Carver walk outside the door. I leave the door cracked. <laughs> <laughs> I do that thing with the, the one foot on the wall where you lean yeah. the back. Well, I'm still listening because the door's cracked. All right, you're going to have to make a perception check. DC has to be at least higher than 11. I lose. Okay, so I'm going to say you can hear some stuff, but not everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the keywords that you hear. Now that we're a little bit bumped as far around, you asked me another question. I bit my tongue a little because I wasn't too sure myself, but you mentioned the name. Sephic Cultural. That's right. Uh, we believe him to be uh, quite a, a primary suspect. Very well. He's a very strange individual. I've only met him twice. First time, seemed quite nervous. Bit of a coward. That was maybe a year and a half ago. Met him again a few months ago when he was here with Torgo and her troops. Very different disposition. Very cold, calculating. Almost like he had no emotion. Uh, before, this might sound a little strange, but did you happen to notice if he was wearing any jewelry? Any necklace? I'll be honest. I'm trying to remember a few months back. I can give you a description of his looks. I can't give you a description of the... That's alright. I was just uh, curious. Please continue. Well, speaking of the attire, it was one of the strange things as well about Cephic was that it's nearly minus 40 degrees outside on the best of days. This man was wearing nothing but a bunning up shirt and a vest. He wasn't wearing any protection from the cold. Uh, yeah, we've actually heard that. He's uh, immune, I guess, in a sense, to the cold. Ah, uh, seems like you already had some information on that. A uh, very small amount. <laughs> Since you've mentioned him, I decided to inquire about where Torga is as of late. Currently, for the past couple of days, he's been in East Haven. Torga's known to spend at least max a week from town and move. If he's always by his side, which I think he is, you'll find probably a down at East Haven. Um, can you two make perception checks for me, please? 18, 17. Virgil and Steve, as you are talking to Neth, you both notice that there's a window just behind you guys on the right of the room, which is slightly open. Behind that window are frozen bushes, which start to rustle, letting in snow, and from the bush, quickly slithers in a small purple snake with wings. It quickly slides across the room towards Nerth and uses its wings to flap onto his desk. And you can see now more closely that near the nape of its spine is a leather cylinder harnessed on the snake. Nerth seems unfazed as he pauses the conversation to open a drawer. He takes out a dead bug and feeds the snake and opens the cylinder to take out a small parchment inside. He then takes out a small reading glass to hover over the parchment to read the tiny print. <laughs> oh, now this, this is entertaining. Everything alright? Uh, yes, I apologize. You see, the universe has a funny way of turning coincidences into disappointments. This particular moment seems to be affecting your party. How is that? You see, this snake has just returned from East Haven carrying a message from one of my informants. The details of this message claim that at dawn today, a human man was arrested. 
has gone to be publicly executed for the crime of murder. to be seeking out well is this frost maiden thick (laughs) (laughs) hi everyone your dm alex here we just want to give a big thanks from us at johns and dragons to everyone that's listening if you liked our podcast please stay tuned as we aim to try and provide a new episode every two to three weeks hopefully You can find us on Anchor FM, Spotify, and if you have a friend that might be into our podcast, then please share so they can join in our adventure. You can reach us on our subreddit, Johns and Dragons, where you can find news, posts, and ask questions. (laughs) 